Basic Income Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. And I'm Jim Pugh. So we've talked about basic income from many different perspectives on this podcast. But in general, the perspectives that we've considered are either economic, looking at what are the fiscal implications of the policy and how might we get there from a numbers perspective, or more community impact, how would this actually have an effect on, on different groups of people. What we haven't talked about before is the moral and spiritual arguments for and against the basic income. So this week, we're very fortunate to have Dr. Malcolm Torrey, who can help us explore basic income from a Christian perspective. So he is the director of the Citizens Basic Income Trust, visiting senior fellow at the London School of Economics, author of many books, including Citizens Basic Income, A Christian Social Policy, The Feasibility of Citizens Income, 101 Reasons for Citizens Income, and Money for Everyone. Welcome, Dr. Torrey. Thank you for, for the invitation. So you've written about Christian theology and basic income, both as separate topics and together, such as in your most recent book. In your mind, were these two big topics always intertwined? They probably were, though the motivation for getting involved in the citizens' basic income debate 30-odd years ago was quite mixed. Um, First of all, I was a Christian and could see the connections, but the, the immediate Um, the immediate motivation was because I was working in uh, a benefits office in Brixton in South London on the public counter, serving claimants who were claiming means-tested benefits. And all of us knew that it was a very flawed system. It was no good for the claimants. It was no good for the staff managing the system. And I wasn't the only one to be wondering whether it really had to be like that. That's where the motivation came from. Our favourite benefit was child benefit, which is the UK's unconditional income for children. And I didn't see why we shouldn't extend that principle. And of course, um, over the years, the the connections between the, the citizens' income proposal and the Christian faith um, have become clearer and clearer. Um, and it's, I, I eventually just had to write the book. Now, as I mentioned earlier, most discussions on basic income tend to focus more on, on the financials, more on the, I would say, maybe empirical, practical impact of the policy. So what sort of reactions have you gotten when you've talked to people about bringing together Christian principles and basic income? All kinds of reactions. Uh, There are, of course, Christians who don't think that citizens' basic income is a good idea. Um, And we then discuss that. Uh, There are people from all kinds of ideologies and faith traditions who are in favour of citizens' basic income and are sometimes interested that there might be connections with the Christian faith. There are Christians who can see the connections very clearly. And uh, only um, last Tuesday, there was a gathering to which I was invited in Birmingham, um, the UK's second city, uh, where a a group had got together simply to discuss the book. Um, And it was a a very lively and well-informed discussion. both religion and the benefit system are vital parts of us of our life together in a society. And 
to to create and to understand the connections between the two is therefore um, a piece of social cohesion. It, it helps us to get our lives together. Have you found that people are, are sometimes a bit purist about wanting to keep you know, religion as religion and social benefits as social benefits? And do people have some amount of discomfort in the, the mingling of the two? Not so much in the UK. I think that may be a more American thing. Um, there's a long tradition in the churches in the UK um, that, that keeps together the, the, the practical consequences of a Christian faith and the faith itself. Um, there are very few parts of the Christian tradition in the UK where there's not felt to be some kind of connection. Now, there, for, for many Christians, that connection will be to do with uh, personal charitable giving or with helping out at a food bank. For other Christians, it's about um, trying to create more social justice. And um, we have a number of, of long-standing charitable organizations in the UK, which enable people to express that conviction. Uh, but there are also not, not a few of us for whom social policy and Christian faith need to be brought together. It's not an unusual um, not an unusual aim. So when thinking about how basic income might move forward in the UK, and, and I know that Scotland just recently announced that they're more seriously pursuing the policy, do you expect or, or think there's a possibility that the church may actually be a significant uh, actor in, in the campaign or, or push around that? I'm not sure. When you talk about the church, you have to define what you mean. The church in any country is a wide diversity of different Christian congregations, of all manner of different Christian traditions, and an awful lot of different kinds of denomination. And uh, therefore, to say the church thinks or does something in particular is quite a problematic thing to say, because the church is incredibly diverse and will never speak with a single voice over very much. Um, uh, we expect Christians to, um, to think the same things in relation to some aspects of our society. Um, we would expect Christians, for instance, uh, to oppose racism. Um, however, uh, when it comes to social policy, like the benefit system, we would expect an enormous diversity of views and there are many Christians who say, well, we need to give extra money to the poor because that's what Jesus would wish us to do. And therefore, we need means tested benefits. Um, there are others of us who understand how damaging means tested benefits actually are to people without much money and that a, a universal unconditional income would be much better for everybody. Um, so, so, yes, there is a diversity of view amongst Christians. There always will be. Uh, what's, what's interested me is the interest that's been shown in the connections drawn in the book between the Christian faith and an unconditional income for everyone. I want to drill down on the damages that means-tested programs do in your mind. Um, what, what are the flaws with means-testing? Uh, how long have you got? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can pick your favorites. 
here's, here's, here's just a few. Um, if you don't earn very much and you're on means-tested benefits of any kind, in the UK you might be on out-of-work means-tested benefits or you might be receiving what's, what we call tax credits, which aren't really tax credits at all, um, which are means-tested benefits that people get when they're in work. Or you might be on the new universal credit, which is not universal and it's not a credit, it's a means-tested benefit that you get if you're in work or out of work. Um, if your earnings then rise, then those benefits fall which means that you're no better off or very little better off. And an awful lot of households in this country experience effective tax rates of over 80% because their benefits are withdrawn, they're paying tax, they're paying national insurance contributions as their earnings rise. And that's no incentive, it's, it's a disincentive. Uh, another flaw in means-tested benefits is they're based on the household which means that bureaucrats have to examine the, in, uh, uh, the, the personal relationships, the intimate relationships of people receiving means-tested benefits. I used to have to do that when I was administering means-tested benefits. It's degrading for everyone involved. So that's just two of the reasons. Another reason uh, is that it's, it, it's incredibly complex to administer means-tested benefits. And so there are errors all over the place. People frequently receive the wrong amounts of benefit. You can accidentally criminalise yourself because you haven't given the right piece of information to the right official. And there is, there is an awful lot of a possibility for fraud with means-tested benefits as well because of the complexity of them. The means-tested benefits, they, they destroy our social cohesion. Uh, a certain group of people will get them and other people will not get them. They're not something that hold us together. And because that's the case, it's very easy for our politicians and for the press to demonise people who are receiving means-tested benefits simply because it's only a certain part of our society. How many more do you want? <laughs> <laughs> so, Dr. Tory, you write about basic income as a celebration of God-given abundance. And abundance is actually a common theme on this podcast. We, we talk about that as, uh, as really a counter to what has been the prevailing austerity mindset that goes with our, our policy in, in the United States and the idea that, oh, no, we can't afford anything big um, and contrasting that with, with the amount of economic growth that we've seen in, in recent decades and, and how much more money is actually out there than, than many people expect. Can you tell us a bit more about your perspective on that topic? On abundance, yes. Um, God has given this planet to us to look after and didn't just give it to a few. It's given to all of us. And what that means is that the, the, the products of this, this planet and of everything that grows on it, they theoretically belong to all of us. Uh, this is a point that was made by Thomas Paine uh, back in the, the end of the 18th century, and it's been made frequently since then. And uh, at the moment, a certain number of people, and it tends to be a smaller and smaller group of people, manage to monopolise the products of the planet that God has given to us all. And James Mead um, quite rightly suggests that the, the, the Nobel Prize winning economist uh, that we ought therefore to establish some some kind of a social dividend, he called it. Uh, that is, if you manage to uh, 
to corral a certain amount of the product of the earth that's, that's not equal to that of everybody else, uh, then there is some obligation on the community as a whole to extract some of that and share it out. And preferably to share it equally because uh, we are all equally members of God's people and to all of us the planet is given. So yes, it, it's abundance, there is abundance out there and it belongs to the whole of the human race. Uh, how you then operationalize that is the question. And there are aspects of our social life together, particularly in the UK, where that, uh, that is operationalized. We have a national health service to which everyone has access freely at the point of use. Um, that's a recognition that the benefits of modern medicine, that uh, are, are God-given gifts and they belong to us all. Um, the same is, it's, it ought to be true of an income. That doesn't mean that everybody will end up the same. Uh, there ought to be reward for hard work, but there ought also to be a layer of income that recognises that the earth belongs to us all because it's a gift of God and that we are all therefore welcome to receive the, the product of the, of the planet. Um, Another way of looking at it is that everything that is produced in our particular time is not just a result of the hard work of people today. It is quite often and perhaps always the result of previous generations, the infrastructure that they built, the education that they've given to us. Um, it's therefore right that all of that should somehow be shared equally because why should a small group of people manage to fence off for themselves the, the products that come from previous generations? Now, again, hard work should be rewarded, but there ought also to be a layer of income that recognises that the products that are made today are based, are, are, are to some extent a result of the hard work of previous generations, and not just of ourselves or our own. So there is abundance. It belongs to all of us. And a, a citizen's basic income would celebrate that fact. It needn't necessarily be a large one. And um, uh, we have to look at feasibility as well as the ideal. Um, the ideal would indeed be a citizen's basic income that was large enough to live on and that shared equally the products of the planet. Um, that's not a viable proposition in the short or medium term. What is feasible is a small citizen's basic income funded from the existing tax and benefit system. It would be at least a, it would at least be a start. It would get us some of the way towards a, a sharing of the good gifts of God to all of us. You've also written about basic income in relation to another important Christian principle, which is forgiveness. So could you tell us a little bit about that, how those two relate? Yes. If you're on means tested benefits and you get something wrong as far as our government or society is concerned. That is, uh, you might uh, leave your job um, for an unjustifiable reason, or you might leave a household. Um, the, the benefit system which we run now is extremely unforgiving. You can end up sanctioned in the benefit system. That is, you can have 
benefits withdrawn from you if you don't turn up to an interview with a civil servant. Um, it, it, is, it does not forgive. It simply sanctions you. It judges people. A citizen's basic income would never judge. Whatever you did, you would continue to receive it. And it's rather like Jesus. He simply forgave without asking what people's pasts were. And some, they brought some a man on a bed through a roof to put down in front of him, and he simply forgave him whatever it was that man had done. Um, and, and he forgave those who crucified him. It, he just carried on forgiving, and a citizen's basic income would do exactly the same. So one argument that you make in favor of a basic income policy, which we haven't seen too much in the United States, is around the idea that basic income could revitalize and enhance families. Can you say more about how you see that working? Yes. In relation to the means-tested benefit system, it will be an enormous improvement. Um, if you're a means-tested benefit, whether in work or out of work now in the UK, then if you are a member of a couple and one person loses their job and therefore receives means-tested benefits, then the other person's earned income uh, reduces those benefits. And so quite often that person will uh, will leave their job because there's no point really in carrying on earning. We are, we are becoming a society of zero earners and two earner households. Um, a citizen's basic income would not do that. It would be based on the individual. So whatever one person did, it wouldn't affect what another person did. If you're a single mother, let's say, as to take an example, and you are on means-tested benefits bringing up a child, and you may have a small amount of employment to go with it, uh, and you, you wonder about moving in with someone else in order to create a larger family, uh, and, and possibly to give the child another parent, then uh, if that other person is earning, you lose your means-tested benefits. It's a big thing to ask for to move in with someone else and immediately lose your own financial independence. If you're in a couple, if you're in a family, then you receive means-tested benefits as a household and not as individuals, whereas if you are earning income, then you earn as individuals and have some control over your own earnings. What a citizen's basic income would do would be to individualise people's, uh, uh, people's incomes, which rather paradoxically would make it much easier for them to form households and to make, make decisions about relationships which weren't interfered with by the benefit system, which they all are now. Nobody who's receiving means-tested benefits can leave out of account what a new relationship or the ending of an old relationship would do to their benefits income. That introduces into relationship uh, decisions something that really doesn't belong there. Whereas a citizen's basic income, whatever you would, did about your relationships, whatever relationships you were in or not in, it would just keep on coming for every individual. And so though, although it is based on the individual and not on the household, a citizen's basic income would enhance family decisions would make it much easier for households to form 
it would mean that decisions about relationships were made on the basis of relationships, not on the basis of a benefit system. Are there other examples where you can see a basic income improving social cohesion like that? Well, generally, it would improve social cohesion simply because we'd all get it. Um, at the moment, those who are on means-tested benefits suffer from a raft of complex administrative rules, whereas people who pay income tax, the rules are fairly lightly applied if they're there at all. And let's just take one example. If you're paying income tax in the UK, you fill in a tax return each year, or some people don't even get asked to do that. And you are very rarely asked to provide evidence of what you write on your tax return. If you're on means tested benefits, then you're asked for evidence all the time. This is a, a discriminatory process and it divides our society. If, if, you, if everyone had a citizen's basic income, then there will be no administration because one of the virtues of a citizen's basic income is, is it would turn on at your birth and turn off at your death and nobody would need to administer it between those two. It would change with your age, but that would just happen. Nothing else would ever change it. Your work status, your household status, the relationships, your earnings, your assets, nothing would change it. Um, whereas for means-tested benefits, everything can change it. And so, um, whereas if you're if you are in a household in which two people are earning and you're not on means-tested benefits, and somebody moves in with you, you don't have to tell anybody. If you are on means-tested benefits and somebody moves in with you, you have to tell the benefits office. It's a highly discriminatory system that we run in the UK. I don't know what it's like in the USA, not in detail, um, though I gather there are some similarities. Um, and I, you, I mean, only you could answer the question in your own context um, as to as to how a citizen's basic income would create greater social cohesion than the means-tested benefits that we've now got. So speaking of possible differences between the UK and the US, in the US, when people discuss policy, it, it really tends to be most of the time a layer removed from considering the more moral or spiritual potential aspects of the policy. Uh, and and oftentimes, if if you were to bring that up, I think that many people wouldn't even know what to make of it, and and just wouldn't consider it as far as as what were the implications on on whether this was a good or bad policy. So I, I'm curious when you've talked to folks in the UK and and brought this perspective that the, the moral the Christian perspective, people who are focused on policymaking, do they? Do you find them receptive? Do they consider it a valuable perspective there? Does it seem, yeah, how does it relate to, to the way that they think about the policy? The answer is it might, it might have an influence in a rather private capacity. Religion and politics in the UK are, are often together in a kind of underground way, but never, or well, at least very rarely, um, is the connection discussed. Tony Blair's communications officer, Alistair Campbell, once said, we don't do God. Um, and that's about right. But that doesn't mean that policymakers as individuals don't, don't draw connections between the Christian faith or indeed other faiths 
uh, and the social policy that we're running in this country. There are, of course, members of parliament and councillors in local authorities and other people in policy making positions for whom their faith and what they're doing in their work belong together. But that's not something that they would very often discuss unless asked. Um, that may be quite healthy because it means that debate is a secular one and it means that policies are examined on their practical benefits. Um, whereas it, it also means that for the individuals involved, their faith and what they're doing in relation to policy belongs together. And that seems to me the right balance. That was Dr. Malcolm Torrey on the Basic Income Podcast. It was very interesting to hear Dr. Torrey's perspective on on how he really sees the motivations for basic income as being moral, mm -hmm. actually driven by those fundamental moral values that we all have. I, I think it's something that we often don't consider when we talk about political issues, what our really underlying drivers are for supporting one policy and not another. But yeah, if you think about it, that's ultimately what it boils down to. Yeah, I think we tend to be anxious to get into the weeds on economics and cost and, you know, evidence that we have. But ultimately, we're making a moral case that this is something that should be in the world. The world is a better place with a basic income. And when we talk about this and debate this, uh, we are appealing to people's sense of morality. And that's an important thing to at least have in the back of your head, if not always in the forefront. I thought it was also really interesting to get more of a sense for what were the interactions between policy and religion in the UK, and, and particularly thinking about how that compares to how those two interact in the US. Because it sounds like there are some similarities, but some aspects are very, very different as well. Yeah, the, the culture there seems different in terms of how those two mix, and maybe it's a little bit less uncomfortable in some arenas. Yeah, it'll also be interesting to see as the basic income conversation continues to grow, how the American Christian community will will react to it. Is is this something that there may actually be strong support for mm -hmm. uh, amongst those folks? Um, I don't know. Well, I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll see. And ultimately, in America, politics and religion do mix quite a lot. So this is something that as the debate grows, we're going to see more and more of. Well, you've been listening to the Basic Income Podcast. Thank you to our producer, Eric Davidson. And if you enjoy our episodes, please make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast service of your choice. And also, please do share with your friends. We're always looking to reach more people. Thank you, and we'll talk to you next time.